0: Continue our study in 2 Corinthians. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11, 2nd Corinthians chapter 1. 2nd Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that "...as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves." But in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us, you also joining and helping through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many." Let's pray once again before we look to this morning's exposition. Father, we thank you for those words. And I pray now that you'll enable me to communicate the truth therein to your people. That You would sanctify us by way of this truth. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. The Puritan, Thomas Goodwin. Reflecting on the mercy of God here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 3, which reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, gives us this fitting meditation. Quote, God has a multitude of all kinds of mercies, as our hearts and the devil are the father of variety. Of sins, so God is the father of a variety of mercies. There is no sin or misery, but God has mercy for it. He has a multitude of mercies of every kind. He is more the father of mercies than Satan is said to be the father of sin. End of quote. Friends, Paul understood. That by the mercies of God, he was but a vessel of God. You'll remember in 1 Corinthians 15, that Paul said, I am the least of the apostles. I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. You remember um, early on in his first letter to the Corinthians, he said, I could not speak to you as a spiritual man, but as infants in Christ. A bunch of babies. For when one says, I am of Paul, another, I am of Peter, I am of Apollos, are you not yet mere men? What then is Apollos? What is Paul but servants through whom you all believed? So then, he goes on to say in verse 7, 1 Corinthians 3, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes growth. How did Paul get to know his nothingness? Answer, primarily through God's providential work of affliction. Affliction, look at it there in verse 4. Comes from the word flipsis, which is a pressing together. It, it was used of, of squeezing um, olives in a press to extract the oil or to crush grapes in order to extract um, the juice. And figuratively, flipsis picture, pictures one being crushed under intense pressure. And certainly persecution, distress, um, opposition, or tribulation all press hard against one's soul, which reveals our nothingness. And forces us to cast um all of our cares upon our sovereign Lord. See uh, Affliction, friends, that is sanctified creates genuine sympathy, verse 4, and tenderness towards others. Without grace, pain, persecution, disappointment, heartache, sadness, sickness may indeed harden one's heart making us resentful while complaining um, and singing perhaps, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Constant pity party. But sanctified affliction, again, creates sympathy, um, empathy, tenderness towards those who are also suffering. The God of all comfort, verse 4, uses our affliction so that we can comfort others, Paul tells us, with the same comfort we receive from him in our time of affliction. In other words, we have tasted the bitter pill, making us more sympathetic to that brother or to that sister. See, that, friends is Paul's point in his outbreak of praise in verse 3. He came to understand these things um, very, very well. Blessed be the God and Father, he says, of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul did not write these things from a bubble somewhere. He didn't write these things out of theory. He did not learn suffering from a book on systematic theology. He learned it from experience. You know, it irks me when I hear of someone providing marriage counseling who's never been married. Yeah, you can do it by the book objectively, but you know nothing of marriage, let alone counsel on raising children from someone who's childless one of the most trying roles and responsibilities that there there is in life. You cannot learn how to raise children merely from books. Although we are guided by the book, we're guided by the book, the Bible, the living word of God, all the while experience is our companion. And likewise, you cannot learn about suffering even from reading Scripture, except in the school of affliction. Sometimes we suffer for the sake of Christ. Other times we suffer due to our own folly. But whatever form it takes, be it physical, um, emotional, distress, spiritual depression, um, having been wronged by others... Whatever the case, Paul helps us in this letter with something that is contrary to the world's pursuit for happiness, but is fundamental to Christianity, and that is that affliction and weakness play a necessary role in our lives, and they go hand-in-hand with regard to our sanctification, amen? And amen. Now, I realize some of you are suffering um, Christian discrimination um, in your places of employment, Christians whose jobs have been threatened because they refuse to attend um, inclusivity um, workshops, you know, f- the forced indoctrination of the LGBTQ agenda or refusing to attend their ridiculous, stupid parades. I mean, can you imagine employees being forced to attend a traditional marriage workshop? A biblical traditional marriage workshop, or required to uh, attend a a Bible uh, morality um, workshop, or a a parade that celebrates um, a biblical union. They'd be up in arms. And since legislators now classify as hate language the biblical teaching that God will judge homosexual um, activity, we're seeing so-called churches cowering and changing their views, which means they reject the living word of God and what he says about it. True biblical Christianity today is the only group that it is politically correct to bash. And true preachers will perhaps be arrested for hate speech just from preaching the Word of God. Now, though we suffer, none of us will suffer the things That the Apostle Paul did. Nevertheless, if you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, all, again, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In his 30 year or so apostolic ministry, Paul had been imprisoned, he had been tortured for the gospel on many occasions. Um, Again, we're given a brief catalog. Of those situations, a condensed version in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. We looked that, at that last week. You can look at it on your own. I won't go there this morning. But he experienced things that would cause uh, most people to ask um, Paul, look, why do you do this? I mean, you had a respected position among the people as a Pharisee, you had wealth. I mean, you had a tenured position, if you will. And now you're imprisoned, you're stoned, you've been beaten. Um, You plant churches that, that are messy. Why do you keep doing it? Well, Paul wrote this letter because many were asking that very question. In fact, some were saying that Paul cannot be a legitimate apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, by just looking at his life. It's a mess. Look at how he suffers. He is not, they were saying, blessed of God. He cannot be blessed of God. Someone who is called and blessed by God doesn't have a life like that, was the argument. This guy's a mess. Conclusion? This must be God's judgment against him, and therefore he must be a false apostle. Some in Corinth had bought into that notion. And they began to oppose Paul, listening instead to the false teaching of those who were referred to in chapters 11 and 12 as the super apostles who taught a first century version of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Now, and also at that time, within the pagan Roman Greco world, um, they believed that the gods were supposed to protect you from danger and trouble. And if you had difficulty, it must be due to the fact that the gods are upset with you. So this is the thinking of the day. Now, you all know that the question is often raised, um, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, the the book of Romans sums up the uh, answer quite succinctly. Um, Fact is, no one does good, not even one. None is righteous, no, not one, because God's standard for righteousness is absolute perfection. Only once did bad things happen to a good person, and that person was Jesus Christ, bearing the punishment that our sins deserved. Bearing the wrath of God upon himself, taking the sins of his people upon himself. The only innocent righteous man all according to the grace of God and also according to the grace of God he is presently um, transforming us into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ so why then do bad things happen to God's people we might ask Um, why does he allow or better yet why does he ordain such things Well, one reason is to test the validity of their faith, to reveal if their faith is a lasting faith. Friends, repeating a prayer at some time in your life to accept Jesus into your heart is not proof of saving lasting faith. Many people who profess faith in Christ outwardly do not actually possess faith inwardly. Afflictions verify if it is destructible faith or not. Because destructible faith is not saving faith. True saving faith is indestructible. It endures to the end. Saving faith perseveres. Now Job, as you well know, was tested beyond imagination uh, while his wife was saying in the midst of his affliction, just curse God and die. What a woman. Job said, though he slay me, yet i will trust him testing positive all this talk about testing positive testing positive for genuine faith look at james 5:11 we count those blessed who endured you have heard of the endurance of job and have seen the outcome of the lord's dealings that the lord is full of compassion and is merciful along with a host of others recorded for us in Hebrews chapter 11, who also tested positive for genuine faith. Those who, through faith, Hebrews 11 verse 34, quenched the power of fire. Verse 36, and others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy. Look at Romans 5 and verse 3. Tribulation brings perseverance. Perseverance brings proven character. Proven character brings hope, and hope never disappoints. Now, affliction also exposes what we love most. Okay? Revealing that where your treasure is, there, Jesus said, your heart will be also. So, he may chasten us in order to recalibrate our affections teaching us obedience. That's another reason for affliction. Calling us back to a heavenly hope because this present world we read in 1 John 2, 17 is passing away. Don't get too caught up here along with its lusts, he says, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So um, affliction reveals whether we possess the faith that we outwardly profess. And affliction um, is not only a means of growth for us individually as Christians, but also something God intends to use to build others up. Again, verse 4, so that. So that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, Okay, uh, which leads to a startling reality, beloved. The suffering you experience at one stage of your life may be for the benefit of others at a later stage in your life. To equip you to better care for someone that you perhaps have not yet even met. Or someone you know... um, to serve for an affliction that is far beyond the horizon in their lives at this point. It's well into the future, whether it's dealing with the death of a loved one, um, dealing with a wayward child, false accusations, um, the loss of a career. It could be many things. It could be for a family member, a, another church member. It could be for one of your own children, a grandchild perhaps. We just don't know but so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So we're able to empathize. We're able to understand. We're able to come alongside, without which it's easy to become judgmental. Tempted to think, why don't, why don't they just do as I do? Right? Right? If you want to know how to do it, you want to know how to raise a family, do what I do. And now we become the super apostles, those that plagued Paul, not tasting the affliction ourselves. I mean, look, it's not that suffering's a virtue. (laughs) It's not that it's good, right? It's not. I mean, who wants to suffer? No, no. There's no volunteers for the suffering squad. But it is an instrument through which God uses to, to create in us hearts of mercy and compassion, not unlike his. The God of all comfort. The God of compassion. Look at verse 5. For just as, now notice, just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Now, pause for a moment here. Sharing abundantly in Christ's sufferings does not mean that there is something lacking in Christ's work of atonement, and my suffering somehow attributes meritorious achievement of some sort to gain full atonement, okay? He's not saying that. Um, While Christ's obedience, while his obedience provides the righteousness um, God requires of us because we're impotent in and of ourselves to please God, his suffering also was once for all the atonement necessary for our sins providing the forgiveness we need. Right, propitiation, it provides, that is, the satisfaction of God's wrath and the forgiveness of our sins. And we are now being conformed to the image of the one who provided atonement. And suffering is part of that shaping, says Paul. We've been kind of laid upon the anvil of sanctification pounded and formed and shaped into his image. That's our lives. Now, that does not mean our entire lives are suffering. There's much joy in this Christian life as well, amen? And if you're not familiar with that, you need to come to the Thursday night study on Ecclesiastes out on the patio Because once you look at life above the sun, S-U-N, to the sun, S-O-N, who's sovereign over everything that happens under the S-U-N, we are told to enjoy that which God blesses us with. Don't turn them into idols, but enjoy them. Though we will suffer along the way. And some of us suffer less than others. It's just a fact of life. Now consider Christ's sufferings. God incarnate, who was mistreated, mocked, scorned, falsely accused, appearing as, and again, uh, appearing as weak before the world, no one suffered more, nor did they carry a greater burden than our Lord Jesus Christ did. And yet, to some degree... Um, those same afflictions are being replicated through the life of the Apostle Paul. Remember when the Lord saved him? God called on Ananias, go to the street called straight, for there's a man praying there, he's blind. Lay your hands on him to receive his sight, for I must show him the things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul, to some degree, bears the afflictions of our Lord jesus christ therefore like paul um, the more we look to christ the more comfort we will find and the greater confidence we will have and ability to endure in the midst of the affliction that's what he says because the sufferings are also for our comfort verse five Remember, the author of Hebrews reminds us, chapter 4 and verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Now, while we will certainly suffer more as followers of Christ in this world we will also, beloved, have more comfort than others, that is, unbelievers, because we have an access to comfort that the world knows nothing about. And that's our great high priest of Hebrews 4, verse 15. Moving on, verse 6. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation... Or, if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. Now, when he says for your salvation here, it is for your salvation, he's referring to the ongoing um, perseverance to final glorified salvation. It's not that they earn it. He's just looking forward to the final stage of it. Verse 7, and our hope for you is firmly... Grounded. That is, hope that you will come through the f- furnace of affliction. Now, think about this. Even though the Apostle Paul's relationship with the Corinthians was thorny, to say the least, um, he could still make this statement Our hope for you is firmly grounded. Confident of their perseverance. Why was he confident? Well, he, Paul wasn't confident in himself as the apostle, he was confident in the comforting and encouraging ministry of the comforter, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, think about the congregation, that one in Corinth, or think about this one, for that matter, Pacific Hope Church. Okay, What can I do as the pastor? What can I do about or for the congregation other than what I'm supposed to do is preach the word of God verse by verse? What can I do? Absolutely nothing. Realizing, as Paul did, the only real custodian of the congregation is the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. I'm an under-shepherd. I can't comfort you like the great shepherd can. Verse 7, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. When we suffer, what do we feel? Weakness. We feel weak, helpless, realizing once again what's been true all along is that uh, although we may ignore it for a season, uh, that we are always dependent on the Lord constantly. When your prayer life is failing, um, you can be sure that you're not all that confident in the Lord. You're very confident in yourself. That's a a danger signal, a lacking prayer life. When we enter into affliction, when we enter into suffering, we are made aware of, we are awakened to the reality of our dependence upon the Lord. Amen? I'm about tired of preaching to an empty congregation. (laughs) I'll tell you that. Listen to Thomas Goodwin again. Quote, if your heart be hard, his mercies are tender. If your heart be dead, he has mercy to liven it. If you be sick, he has mercy to heal you. If you be sinful, he has mercies to sanctify and cleanse you. End quote. In other words, he supplies us with sufficient grace, that is with resurrection power and gospel comfort to get through the trial. This is what he's laying out. And now he provides an example, verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. That now, now don't miss this we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Now, we do not know what this was. The Corinthians must have known because um, he, he doesn't give them any details. But whatever the persecution was, he collapsed under its weight. You see that? Burdened excessively, beyond strength, the the, the idea there is of loading up a burst of beaten, a beast of burden, rather, a beast of burden, like a donkey or an oxen, until it just collapses. You just keep loading and loading and loading and loading, and it, it falls. You know, you'll often hear Christians say that God will never give us more than we can handle. Now, while their hearts are in the right place when they say that, it's simply not true. We hear this? What they do is they they make a mistake and they cite 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 uh, where it is true that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability, that is to be tempted so severely that there's no way for us to resist or there's no way out. He will always provide the way out where there's temptation. But that's what he's talking about, restraining temptation, not the affliction we endure. When it comes to affliction, Paul is clear. He was burdened beyond his strength. Okay, so why? Why would God allow that to happen to his faithful servant well, Paul is clear once again. Verse 9. He's going to tell you why. Indeed. We had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not, here it is, trust in ourselves. But in God, who raises the dead, there's that resurrection power again. Who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom... We have set our what? Hope. To force us to rely not on ourselves, but on God. To make us, to cause us, to rely on him. Who, he who comforts us in all our afflictions. Now remember, by way of reminder, he comforts us by way of his son. 1 John 2.1, if anyone sins, we have an advocate, paraclete, comforter, with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So he comforts us by way of the son. He also comforts us by way of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going away to his disciples, but I will send another what? Helper comforter. So we find comfort by way of the Son, the Holy Spirit, and also by way of the saints, one another. Hebrews 3, Hebrews 10. Comfort, we're told, encourage. Encourage one another day by day. And courage means to put courage into. When we're afflicted, when we suffer, we begin to wane. Our inner strength, the courage we need to endure the affliction begins to fail and fear is its opposite. I've seen a lot of fear over the months with this COVID thing. Even Christians scared to death. Fret not. So, to encourage is to put courage back into a fear filled heart that may be collapsing, as Paul did, under trial. That is comfort that comes from the Spirit of God who has divinely inspired the Word of God. The Word of God. Another form of comfort, the Scriptures. Romans 5 verse 4 the comfort of the scriptures we read psalm from psalm 119 this morning your word is my comfort in my affliction the holy spirit has uniquely gifted some with the gift of exhortation bringing others the word of god look at it in romans chapter 12 verse 7 we have gifts that differ according to grace he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, paraclesis, exhortation, one who by the Spirit of God can come alongside another to, to help them understand and apply God's word. The word of what? Comfort. This is the ministry of comfort that we're talking about here. The ministry of comfort in the sea of affliction. I think that's the title of the message. When we bring the word to another, sometimes um, it involves um, admonishing, someone who's overcome by a a life-dominating sin, or at other times it's to instruct and correct someone deceived by doctrinal error. We come by the Spirit of God, bringing that which He inspired, the Word of God, that comes through the saints of God. Bringing the comfort of the Son. Bringing the comfort of the Spirit. Through the comfort of the Scriptures. Through comforters, the saints. That's the idea. And in every situation, the agent of comfort is always God. These are all means person and work of Christ, uh, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, uh, the redeemed, the saints, means of grace, the scriptures, to bring comfort, the God of all comfort. So the instrument is his word, the messengers he uses is all of us, all of us, especially those with the gift of exhortation. Mature saints, think about it, mature saints gifted with biblical exhortation, who have tasted the bitter pill of affliction, specifically suffering for Christ. Let me pause for a moment and give some practical advice to young people. Young people, when you're in need of advice, and there'll be many stages in your life where you're going to need advice, i.e., comfort, um, wisdom. Um, Don't go to your friends for wisdom. Go to somebody older, wiser, with a worn out Bible. With a worn out Bible, that means they read it, they study it, they apply it, they use it to exhort others. Go to them, people of prayer. Also, don't go to some secular counselor or psychologist. They know nothing of the great comforter. They know nothing of the truth of God, the God of all comfort. Go to someone wise, someone older. And again, with a worn out Bible. Lastly, The ministry of comfort, the ministry of consolation for the afflicted must be woven with prayer. Because prayer unleashes the power of God. Look at at verse 10. And he will yet deliver us. Paul talking to the Corinthians about his affliction which caused him to collapse. He will yet deliver us, you also joining and helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of the many. Paul, very dependent man of God. First and foremost on the Lord Jesus Christ and the people of God, the saints. The sun comforts, the spirit comforts, the saints comfort, and we comfort by way of the scriptures and our own suffering. So while Paul praises God for his many deliverances, he does not forget the secondary cause. Notice the prayers of the saints, prayers of God's people. Friends, never underestimate the power of prayer. Therefore, we must pray. We must pray. James 5:16 The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. I praise God for the faithful intercessors. I'm here at Pacific Hope Church. I know that you pray on behalf of others. We see the reports. I mean, I wish there were more Privately praying for one another is a glorious ministry. Praying for one another at home, glorious ministry. Corporately, when we gather, it's always a feeble turnout. Always. Well, it's because of COVID-19. No. (laughs) It's always feeble. There's always a meager turnout. You know, while we're not to forsake the assembling together, as is the habit of some, it is the habit of most when it comes time to corporate prayer. We're meeting this Wednesday, by the way, right here. See, it's our lowliness in prayer that is an expression of our weakness. It's an expression of our dependence upon God, our confidence in Him. It's an it's the adoration um, and acknowledgement of His power. We are impotent people. We're powerless. Prayer is the source. It unleashes the power of God as ordained by God. It's a means, another means of his grace. Look at Romans 15, verse 30. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, says the apostle. I can't ask enough for prayer for me, for the elders, for our leadership, for one another, for our children, the children at home, for our youth. Look at Ephesians 6, verse 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit and with this in view. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Here's Paul. Pray pray for me that I'll boldly speak, authoritatively speak, Not like a lot of these mealy-mouthed so-called ministers out there today. You know, while we may be separated by miles, we can storm the gates of heaven with prayers on behalf of one another. There's no language barrier with regard to our brothers and sisters when we pray to the Lord for saints across the ocean. So we we can serve as agents of helping to encourage and and deliver others through our prayers. To pray them through um, their afflictions. And again, I'm thankful um, that you do that. Most of you do that um, as a local church body. Paul says, because of the prayers of many, this gift of comfort, this gift of favor was bestowed on us in the midst of our affliction in Asia, he says, (laughs) under which we collapsed. Your prayers lifted us up. It's Beautiful. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. You want to know what God's will is for your life? It's that right there. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, everything give thanks. If you're, if you're a thankless person, if you don't find yourself thanking God regularly on a day-to-day basis, start there. Confess, first of all, that you're thankless, and then start being thankful. Force yourself to thank him for specific things and specific people in your life. It'll become a habit. You'll grow in gratefulness. So when we pray we enter into the work, the ministry of comfort. We're committing part of our soul, if you will, to somebody in the ministry of comfort. And then when we see comfort provided, when we see, as Paul puts it, favor bestowed, we're thankful and we give praise to God. See how it all ties together? He gets all the glory. All the time. So prayer is, we see as an essential part of the ministry of comfort. You know, we may not have much to offer individually. We have nothing to say at some time. Sometimes it's best not to say anything. I've been at the bedside of those who've lost infants. I don't have anything to say. You remain silent sometimes, but we can pray. We can pray. It's all part of the work of comfort. So as we conclude this section verses 1 through 11. The ministry of comfort from the sea of affliction. Four things to take away. Number 1. God is the only true source of comfort. Many means is the only source. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort by way of the Son, the Spirit, the scriptures, and the saints. He's the God of all comfort. Secondly, um, God equips us, again, God equips us, the saints, for the ministry of comfort through our own suffering so that we're able to comfort others with the comfort with which we've been comforted. Comforted by the comfort we've been comforted with by God. Verse 4. Thirdly, God causes us to abandon any trust in ourselves and others through our troubles. In other words, it's to drive self-trust out of us. We see this throughout Paul's life. Fourthly, God comforts us in our afflictions and troubles that we might praise his name. Yes, to comfort others, but also to praise his name. As Paul Rejoiced in the prayers of the saints. Amen. So then, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, as he comforts your souls today for your good and his glory. Father, we do thank you for your word, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ Knowing that being in Christ, we share in the sufferings of Christ, Um, help us to be mindful, help us to be prayerful, help us to be dependent not upon ourselves, uh, but upon you, the God of all comfort. Um, Help us to minister to one another with wisdom, with compassion, with gentleness, tenderness, respect, and may you get all the glory in and through it all. For the name of Christ, our sovereign Savior. Amen.